Jim Shoemaker, Scott Jordan, and Drew Johnson are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Now, your host, Jim Shoemaker. Whether you're a baby boomer or a millennial, it doesn't seem to matter. A common concern is always money. Well, welcome to today's program, Talk Money. We've got a great program lined up for you today. Educational, informational. Today's lineup is just stacked. And I tell you, I cannot wait to get into the heart of it. But Mark Herbison is with us. He is the president of HTL Advantage. And he's going to be sharing some information about Blue Oval City and all the opportunities for West Tennessee. Drew Johnson and Scott Jordan's going to talk about some valuable information with rising interest rates and investing in the market after the election. Shannon Dyson's also going to join us in the second half of the program with an update about Medicare. He's going to share with us some of the things you need to know about your options and the questions you need to ask. But first, Mark Herbison, president of HTL Advantage. Sir, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Jim. Good morning. Good morning. Now, you, I tell you, I am. I heard you speak at the mayor's conference in Germantown, and I've been so excited about having you on the program because what you shared and all that information just lit my fire in the reality of maybe I'd been asleep not knowing exactly how West Tennessee was going to be affected but all that's going on with Blue Oval City, the Stanton area, Brownsville area, and all the things happening there. But first of all, let me let me ask you to tell us, when you say president of HTL, I know the HTL, but I think our listeners need to know just who you are and what you bring to the table when we talk about Blue Oval. Well, HTL Advantage is an organization that was created back in 2009, around the time that the state of Tennessee was getting ready to purchase the land that is now the Memphis or the West Tennessee Regional Megasite where Ford is going. So uh, back then, regionalism was a real big thing in the economic development world, working together. And so the three counties, Haywood, Tipton, and Lauderdale, uh, seeing the incredible opportunity that the mega site might bring, decided to come together from the perspective of doing industrial development and working on the mega site and actually developing a number of other industrial sites in the three county area. They came together and uh, created HTL Advantage. It stands for Haywood, Tipton, Lauderdale County. Uh, we specifically focus on recruiting new industry to the three-county region. We also have a big emphasis on working with existing companies to make sure they're successful and growing and doing well. A big part of what we do every day is really understanding and working on the workforce. That is really the number one, probably the one, two, and three most important issues for companies today is finding a quality workforce. And so uh, HTL was formed over the years. We've worked to promote the mega site and to get ready for this great opportunity that we've now landed, Jim. Yeah, that's amazing, too. And it is going to have an enormous impact. So when you think about it, you talk a little bit about the history. There's some things you mentioned when I was listening to you at the mayor's conference. The reality was just how many things had to be done 
almost in a, in a quiet way, but had to be moved and, you know, sewage plants and, you know, people involved and all the things like that. And TVA, and TVA actually, I think you said, was said this was one of the largest projects they've ever met, or maybe it's the largest project they've ever had to deal with. But you just, this was not something that just happened overnight. As you said, it was a long process. I, I very arduous. I guess you know, the whole idea behind it, it was just stringent to get it done, but you've got it done. They're now moving in the direction. So what is the project going to look like? What can we see as you tell us about the future? How do we see the impact for West Tennessee? Sure. Well, one of the things I want to mention before I get into the, the impacts is the fact that it was a very long, tedious, arduous process to put the megasite together. The megasite goes back to the early 2000s when TVA started looking to develop a megasite program in their eight-state territory. They identified six areas around that eight-state region where they found uh, places that a megasite could be developed. Uh, megasite, I think back then, was anything over a 1,000 acres. And so one of those areas was the uh, West Tennessee megasite area at exit 42. The county took on the project of actually trying to acquire the property. So that took a long time. The county at that point, back 15, 18 years ago, was able to pay the first round of options. But when the second round of options came up, they actually had to borrow the money to pay for the first round. The state then decided to take the project over they bought the property in 2010, so we've literally been working on this development at the megasite since the early 2000s, around 2003. I go back to 2005. I ran the economic development department at the Greater Memphis Chamber. I came into that job in 2005, so I started working on the megasite back then. But I'll tell you, there was a, a really a a core group of committed people over the last 20 years that kept that site going. Uh, there was what we called a lot of megasite fatigue over time because uh, the big issue for the megasite was uh, the lack of infrastructure. And so you had a site uh, right on the interstate that connected to the CSX Railroad, but it was really in a more rural area. It's about 12 miles from the Shelby County border east of Shelby County. It's about halfway between Memphis and Jackson on I-40 and exit 42. And so really there was a committed group of people that kept this thing going for many, many years. And so for people to think this was something that just happened overnight and we got lucky, no, this was a long, arduous process that a very committed group of people stuck to it and made it happen over the over the long run. But from an impact perspective, I want to start any of my comments by saying that if anybody told you that they knew what the exact impacts of this were going to be, I don't think they would be being honest with you. Nobody really knows how much impact this is going to have, Jim. But I can tell you that really we've never seen anything like this before in the state of Tennessee or really in the country. Uh, this is the largest industrial project in the state's history. It is the largest project in the history of Ford Motor Company. So if you look at this in perspective to the automotive plants that are already here in Tennessee, this will open from a physical perspective about twice the size of Nissan. Uh, so it's going to be a massive facility. They are literally going to build a city at exit 42, uh, you know, 
tens of millions of square feet of industrial space, office space, uh, child care, fitness centers, a TCAT, a Tennessee College of Applied Technology. So there's going to literally be a new city that will develop out there. Uh, they are going to invest, we know, over $6 billion in this initial phase one of the project, Jim. And they are committed contractually with the state to hire 5,800 people by the end of 2026. And so if you look at this from the perspective of jobs and construction, this is so huge. It's from the employee perspective, you know, it's going to open at around 6,000 employees just in the battery and assembly plants. That doesn't count the probably eight to 10 suppliers that will locate on site with them. And what we believe probably will be dozens and dozens of other suppliers that will locate in the region. Uh, just on phase one, the initial estimated impact for job growth will be somewhere from 21 to 25,000 new jobs that will be created to support this facility in the region on phase one and they are actually uh, permitting and grading the site out there to double the size of this facility within 10 years. So we're looking at, you know, the potential within 10 years of direct jobs at the site, probably 12 to 15,000, and the support jobs, you know, numbering in the tens of thousands in the region. If you look at Nissan today, after 40 years of operation in Middle Tennessee, they're sitting today at around 6,400 employees. So we're going to open at that size and exponentially grow, I believe, over the course of the next decade. When you look at the infrastructure that's being installed, because of the size of the project, we had to increase the sizes of all of the infrastructure, gas, water, sewer, and electricity. Uh, TVA is under construction right now with the largest substation in their entire territory. And so they're going to be bringing in a massive amount of power from several different locations, 500 kilovolt power, 161 kilovolt power. Uh, they're going to uh, be building a new wastewater treatment plant. They've already built the force main project that will take that treated water 36 miles to the Mississippi River. They're building a water treatment plant, another water tower and they will be bringing in the gas infrastructure from uh, the west and the south of the site. So this thing has already shown some impact in the region. I can tell you that in my area, we're seeing a lot of people moving in from the construction side, uh, really, Jim, taking up most of the available housing. Uh, we're seeing, uh, you know, in Haywood County, new growth. We're seeing uh, some subdivisions that are being permitted. We're seeing new hotels, restaurants, commercial operations. And so we're already feeling the impact, and we really haven't seen the wave of suppliers. We haven't seen really any supplier announce yet, and that is all in the process. So this is going to have a huge impact on the re region. But as you mentioned when you were talking before this question, there are some real challenges that we have to step up and meet. To order, you know, in order to be successful with this thing and, and meet the needs, not only of Ford, but of all the other industry in West Tennessee. Yeah, that's got to be, I know, a challenge for a lot of people. I know you've got your head around that. If you just tuned in, my guest, Mark Herbison, he is the president of HTL Advantage. 
that's working with a just an enormous project that's taking place in our region. It's called Blue Oval City. I'm sure you've heard about it, but you probably are not learning the magnitude of it. The you know it's just a, it's a game changer for West Tennessee. Mark, when you talk about this though, and you mentioned it, I mean it's Ford. I mean I know you said there's going to be foundation. The Ford Foundation is going to build community centers. This is going to impact people's lives, not only with a job, but just the quality of living. Am I am I saying that right? Is that the way I can put it that way? Yes, I mean it's. It's really, I, I've been doing economic development for over 25 years now, and I've worked literally on thousands of different projects over my career, but I've never worked on a project or with a company quite like this. The project is of a magnitude that really we could have never dreamed of. I mean, we were, our goal back when we started the mega site, you know, when the state took it over back in 2007, they did a study that showed the impact of what a 2,000 employee car plant would have meant for the West Tennessee region. And it was massive impact. And that's one of the reasons Governor Bredesen back in 2007 decided to take on the Megasite project and, you know, make the state the owner of that, that property and that project. And so, um, you know, there, there are, 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 are a lot of different things that they are doing. Ford has come into this region and I've never worked with a company as committed to building the region and building the workforce as Ford is doing right now. That's they've, uh, they've already brought in a whole team of workforce and talent people. They are developing a high school curriculum for West Tennessee. And what that means with dual enrollment now in our high schools where you can I don't know if you remember back in the 70s and 80s, we had DECA and VICA, and you could take half a day and part of your senior and junior years and, you know, go work and learn a trade. And we really walked away from that as a country and as a state 20 or 30 years ago and decided that every kid needed a four-year degree. And that has really hurt our workforce over the last few decades. We are now, you know, seeing shortages in so many areas, maintenance people, mechatronics people, electricians, plumbers, welders. And so we're really retooling our our whole education system to bring that back because if you want to make a good living now, you're probably going to make more money with a skilled trade in the next 20 or 30 years than you will with a four-year degree. That's- and so we need to put a, a huge amount of new people through the vocational training system in West Tennessee. And Ford has come in not only talking about it, but putting resources, hiring people. They've already hired a number of education and workforce people that have moved. Some have moved from Michigan down here. Others are from Tennessee that they've hired. They've got people in West Tennessee. They've got a couple of people in Middle Tennessee working with state government. But they're developing this curriculum. So if in the eighth grade gym a student decides – They want to go down the assembly plant path. In the ninth grade, they would take all their core curriculum, but they would start training toward being able to work in that assembly plant. So when they graduate as a senior, they will have all the credentials needed to go to work when they graduate at the assembly plant. No debt, ready to go to work with the credentials they need. And so that's going to be a game changer for us in West Tennessee. If we get this right, 10 years from now, we'll have the most advanced 
manufacturing workforce in the world. Wow, that's we will be the showplace for the entire world for the electric vehicle industry. We will have the most advanced electric vehicle assembly plant in the world. We'll have the most green and sustainable assembly plant in the world. So we will become really the, the focal point in the world for advanced manufacturing. But we have a big, heavy lift to make to make sure that we not only train enough people that are already here, we've got the Shelby County school system with hundreds of thousands of students, uh, but we've got to get this focus on vocational training back embedded into our, not only our systems, but into our minds. If you're a parent and you want your kids to make a good living, I'm telling you, a plumber and electrician is going to make a lot of money, maybe as much as a doctor and a lawyer going forward. So <laughs> it's really that. something to think about. Then it's really something that we have to get right. The other big issue, Jim, is housing. West Tennessee has not grown for decades. Most of the counties in West Tennessee over the last 30 or 40 years have lost population. We have not seen new infrastructure growth in our communities, and we certainly have not seen new residential growth. Shelby County used to lead the state for decade after decade in new housing starts. That's absolutely no longer the case. We have to have new housing because we have had so much out-migration from West Tennessee, people moving out of here. We now have the opportunity to reverse that trend and bring people back. We want to grow our current talent base, but we have to have in-migration. We need new revenue and new tax-paying units to come into places like Brownsville and Ripley to where they have seen population losses over the last few decades. And so our big focus of these communities, and it should be of Shelby County and Memphis, is to get new housing built as quickly as possible because we have an opportunity now to have people moving here like they are in Nashville from all over the country and the world, but we don't have anywhere to put them right now, Jim. So that there are some issues that are big issues that we really have to come together and try to work through quickly. You know, I so much appreciate you bringing that to our attention. Let me, you know, the issues, the challenges, but yet you've got a positive message and it's such an enormous message. I appreciate the way you communicate it. Producing trucks by 2025, did I hear that right? That That's what you said? That's- January of 25. That's correct. Wow, there's that's a that's a target. I you know, I guess what I'm hearing is a well thought out plan. It's now being executed. That doesn't say you don't have challenges, but you're really saying very plain that every one of us need to impact be be around it, get our heads around it, be a part of it and assist where we can and just make sure that this becomes what people have had a dream for the last 15 to 20 years, phenomenal. Just no way around it. It really is. I, I, it's like winning the Super Bowl, the World Series, the Masters, every major sporting event all in one year, Jim. Amen. It's an incredible thing <laughs> for us I in so, West Tennessee. I so much appreciate it. Mark Herberson, he is the president of HTL, and as you can tell, he has been entrenched for many years in this blue oval code, the fact that we're going to be one of the, the he, he put it the way he said it, the leading car manufacturer, the electric car manufacturer in the world. 
Tennessee will have four auto companies making electric vehicles, the largest in the world, right here in West Tennessee. Mark, thank you so much, sir. I want to talk to you again. We'll have you back. You just, you really got me going. I'm excited. I hope everybody listening is excited. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Thank you. Uh Uh-huh. Mark Harbison, you don't want to just, you need to stay listening to what's going on with what's happening in Blue Oval City. Uh, We'll have Mark back on in a couple of months just to get an update, just because we're talking about changing. I like the way he said it. You know, it's the Super Bowl, the World Series, the Final Four, everything you got rolled into one big, huge project. Well, coming back, when we do, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to be talking with Drew Johnson, Scott Jordan. They're going to talk about some information when it deals with interest rates post-election and how that affects you coming up. And that's important. I mean, the next couple of months are critical. And then Shannon Dyson's going to talk about Medicare. You don't want to miss that. What are questions that you need to know to ask? And what should you be looking for when it comes to the answers? I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information is not investment advice or recommendation. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. Helping you make the most of your money. Talk money with Jim Shoemaker on News Talk 98.9. Neither asset allocation nor diversification guarantee against loss. They are methods used to manage risk. Neither Shoemaker Financial nor Securian Financial Services are affiliated with Mark Herbison or HTL Advantage. The views and opinions expressed are those of Mark Herbison only and have not been presented on behalf of or endorsed by Securian Financial Services, Inc. or Shoemaker Financial. Helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Now, your host, Jim Shoemaker. Welcome back. We've been talking with Mark Herbison, the president of HTL Advantage, which is the big subject we were discussing was the Blue Oval City and the impact in West Tennessee. All that's future. We're going to talk about something that's right now. The reality of the post-election. What do you do? Drew Johnson and Scott Jordan are in the studio with me. Welcome to the program, guys. Great to be here, Jim. Thanks for having me on. All right, Drew, let's start with you because when I talk about interest rates, not all interest rates affect consumers and businesses and the economy overall the same way. So I think it's important for our listeners for them to understand the specifics when it comes to what you're talking about, about interest rates. Well, I mean, interest rates can affect you in two basic big ways. One is they can affect you as a consumer. Uh, The other is they can affect you as an investor. And those two are connected. When you start to see short-term interest rates like the Federal Reserve's overnight rate, when you start to see that go up, that changes savings account rates, money market rates, CD rates. And what happens there is that consumers have more of an incentive to save their money at that point that in turn can have knock-on effects throughout the economy. If you're spending less at the grocery store, you're spending less you know, online, uh, that impacts jobs down the line. And so the whole idea behind having higher interest rates is that it can slow down growth and it can slow down inflation. So it's not always great for the economy, but it's good for people who are interested in saving money. You know, I just read something recently, and I think this came from Barron's, and it was talking about the velocity of money, The you know, where you take the velocity of money and you manage it, where you put the GDP 
and divide it by money supply. And we're at an all-time low. I mean, an all-time low, and that has to do with rising interest rates. I mean, when what happens is when I start putting money in my pocket and I'm not circulating it through the process of spending it, we slow down the, the whole velocity. And that's kind of bad for the economy, wouldn't you think? Absolutely. A dollar is changing hands less often. And so you're going to see lower demand, You're going to, but you're also going to see lower inflation. And so there's, there's always a cost to trying to control it that way. You can get higher growth, but higher inflation. You can get lower inflation, but lower growth. That's always a trade-off there. I get that. So let me ask you this. When you talk about overnight rates, you're talking about the Federal Reserve. So help me with that, because I'm really looking at how it affects the investor. What should we be doing post-election? We got gridlock. At least that's what we're going to say at this point. We will figure that out over the next couple of months. But the reality is, how do you look at overnight rates and what do you say to the investor? Well, the overnight rate is just an extrapolation of what the rate would be if it lasted for a full year. But we're talking about a, a, an interest rate that only applies for a single day. And it's what happens when banks lend money to each other. So if you ever wire money, to, you know, for like if you're closing on a house, that's what that is. Uh, the, the, the rate that the bank would pay for that money, that's what the Federal Reserve is talking about when they're saying we're raising rates, we're, we're lowering rates. As far as the election goes, I mean, n- none of the overall dynamics of that really changes just because of the election result overnight. The, what we've been seeing with inflation and then interest rates responding to it, that's been kind of in the works now for a number of years. And even 50 years from now, there will be economic debates as to what exactly caused and then led to it. But these kinds of changes don't just happen overnight. The mere change of, of a few seats in, in Congress and in the Senate isn't going to change that overnight either. We're at a far different place now with all that than we were even at the beginning of the year. And if you've managed to weather the storm in 2022 so far, the main thing that I would say to people in 2023 is don't let what's happened in 2022 change your long-term plan and and what you're doing in 2023. That's a great point. Scott, when we talk about the whole idea, as Drew mentions, controlling inflation comes with a cost. And he was just, he leaned into that a little bit. Higher short-term rates kind of impact inflation, but it does kind of contract the money supply, which is what I was talking about with the velocity of money. How does that impact the consumer? I know jobs can begin to change. I mean, slows the economy down. What do we do? I mean, there's almost this, I don't know what to do mentality. Well, you know, a lot of this is by design. We, we talked about inflation. Inflation, I, I heard it put this way, is inflation's like a cancer and a, and a you know, raising interest rate environment or a recession is like the chemotherapy. There's, it's going to be a little painful, but, you know, letting inflation continue to run is far more da- damaging to the economy long term than taking these short-term measures to try to cool that off a little bit and, and stop the overheated economy. And by doing that, you know, you talk about money supply, they're trying to pull money out of the system. The simple definition of inflation is too much money chasing too few goods. So we put a lot of money in the system to combat the effects of the COVID-19 virus. Now it's time to pull some of that out and that's going to cause a little short-term pain. You know, you talk about money supply. We had this huge amount of money coming in in 2020. Government just simply dumped, walked over to everybody and said, here's a check, take it. And we saw savings go, the consumer savings in the end of 2020 up to $4.8 trillion. Now, as of the end of September, it's down to $680 billion. So we have spent a lot of money. So there's your inflation. You're talking about lots of dollars chasing too few products. So that's what you're talking about. So now we're trying to slow that down. And as you said, pain, yeah, maybe, but 
inflation under out of control is not going to be good for us. Right, absolutely. You know, letting that run wild is going to be far more uh, far more long term damage to the economy by letting inflation run than it is to endure a little bit of short term pain of slowing the economy down. Now, I think there's still a lot of good data out there that supports that soft landing theory. Um, whether we're going to have a soft or hard landing, we won't know and, until we look back. But you know, I think there's still a lot of optimism out there that the Fed can engineer this to just slow it down just enough not to put us into a full blown recession, but slow it down enough to cool the inflation numbers off. And we've seen some improvement already. So. You know, I, I heard it put the other day, are we trying to land a Piper Cub or a 747? I think it's a 747. 747. Yeah, what's a plane that's bigger than that? Bigger than that. Right. Yeah, exactly. But the reality is uh, a soft landing is what everybody would like to see. Drew, let me lean in with you. When we talk about overnight, the short-term rates, that affects a lot of things. Mortgages being the number one. We've seen real estate just all over, real estate, the market's in recession. It is now, maybe not declared, but I sense it's more of a buyer's market than it is a seller's market. We came out of a huge seller's market. Everybody was getting pumped up prices for their homes. Now, people are saying, wait a second, with mortgage rates going on. So that's an effect of raising interest rates. Right. And I mean, and a lot of parts of housing have really been signaling this was coming for well over a year at this point. This wasn't just something that occurred just in 2022. Even by about mid-2021, there were parts of the housing sector that were sending up some red flags for us. And when you've got mortgage rates tied to, uh, you know, government bonds and then government bonds tied to feds, uh, Fed funds, if it costs more to borrow, you're going to be less likely to borrow. If you think something's going to be less expensive tomorrow than it is today, you're going to wait until tomorrow to buy it. And that's what's happening with, with housing. So a lot of people that is part of the, the COVID-19 part that Scott mentioned, people were moving away from urban areas out to rural areas because they wanted to get away from where they thought you know, big areas of transmission were for the for the disease that sent up housing prices, and now a lot of people that bought their houses in the in the course of that boom are now finding themselves maybe if they had to sell their house today, they may not get as much as they bought for it or as much as they you know thought that they sh- expected to when they bought it a year or two ago, uh, and that's going to have a, definitely a downward uh, impact on people wanting to sell. So, like you said, Jim, it is more of a buyer's market at this point, and that goes back to what you know what interest rates have done to that market. All right, let me. Let me take this now. I want to apply it to the people listening. And I want you to understand this is about information you need for year end, for next year, 2023 planning. I mean, we see the Michigan report comes out. The consumer you know, sentiment is down, guys. There's just there's this, op, you know, not optimism, but more pessimism now that's coming along. And I think what I'm hearing and what I'm listening to people say, the consumer we're just not sure. And, and Drew, you actually was saying, what do I do? Do I do now? Do I wait? And I've actually heard that multiple times that, you know, inflation's probably going to end up at the end of the year, 4%, maybe 45 5%. But it's kind of like I'm frozen. What do I do? So I'm going to start with you. You know, Scott, you'll go tell us what you would be telling someone. And Drew, you do the same thing. What would you say to someone at this stage? You've kind of alluded that look at the long term, Drew. But I really want us to be sure we give good, solid information. If you just tuned in, I'm talking with Drew Johnson and Scott Jordan. We're talking about what do you do when you got all these mixed messages? You know, is the gridlock in the in the House and the Senate and the government, is that going to be good? Yes, no. Well, they're going to talk about that. But what do you do if rising interest rates stays around for longer than you think it's going to? And so it's kind of that, how do you answer these questions? So I'll start with you, Scott. 
Well, I think, first of all, when, when you talk about rising interest rates, there's a certainly a positive side to that that Drew alluded to earlier. If you are a saver and you're looking to invest money or put money to work, you're now getting paid a lot better for taking on that risk of buying you know, corporate bonds or, or, or even the risk-free government bonds. They're paying a lot better now, a lot better now than they were a year ago. So if you've got money on the sidelines, you're looking to invest for the long term, you're getting to buy in at some pretty good bond rates. Now, for the person who came into this year already holding bonds, it's not such a pretty picture, right? Because we know um, that bond prices move inversely to interest rates. So we've seen a rising rate environment. We've seen existing bonds get hit pretty hard. Uh, one of the hardest downturns on the bond side we've seen in decades. But if you're a long-term investor, again, you still own an asset. You still own an asset that's paying you an income. And if you're not looking to sell that, you're not looking to create cash flow out of that right now by selling it, you're okay to hold on to that, hold it to maturity, allow it to mature and get full price for it. So that main thing you're saying is hold on, think long-term. Drew, I mean, from your chair, and I mean, as the investment committee chairman, you really in our, at the office pretty much give us insight into what you're seeing. Are you comfortable with rising interest rates? Are they going to continue to rise? Or what do you see? And I know you're not predicting. You're not telling me the future. You just, I want your educated opinion. I mean, I, th I think the, the higher up the Fed goes at this point, the more difficult it's going to be to justify further hikes in the future. This is going to come to a, a terminal point, uh, you know, at some point down the line. You know, if we were to compare the world of investable assets to something like a shopping mall, if you were to walk into it today relative to where we were a year ago, everything pretty much is on sale relative to where it was a year ago. Interest rates have gone up by so much that you can't say, oh, well, you know, this store over here, their stuff is on sale, but that store over there, their stuff is more expensive. It's pretty much all on sale. So it's a good opportunity across the board. So that means it is a, it's a good time to think about staying invested if you're already invested. What it's not a good argument for is changing what your overall plan is because the opportunity is pretty well spread out. So whatever your long-term plan was at the beginning of this year, that's probably still a good long-term plan for the beginning of 2023 is what I would tell people. Wow, that's great advice. Good stuff. That's, good, that's good advice. The reality is we expect the Fed December, well, let's go to November 1st. November, we saw a rising rate. We, we expect, you know, again, another 50 to 75 basis point. December, still looking for 50 to 75 basis points increase? Possibly 50, 75, you know, unless... I think we've got more data coming out later on this week. If that ends up looking more moderate, they may change their, their tune there. We'll have to see what happens with that. But that doesn't change but, the long-term perspective that you're talking about. No, it doesn't. That's so, so important, guys. I mean, I can't ask you. If, if in summarizing, Scott, what would you, what do you put the bow on this? Because you guys talked about what the rising rates have done and what's it going to continue to do. Mortgages are the one being hit that we all feel the pain. But what would you say, Scott? Well, I think Drew said it well. You know, to the long-term, goal-focused, plan-centered investor, it's stick with your long-term strategy. Uh, we're going to go through a lot of these times. You know, as an investor, you know, even even if you're at the point of retirement, you're still looking at another 20 to 30 years of, of needing to invest money to protect your purchasing power. So you're going to go through a lot of different things, whether it's rising interest rates, falling interest rates, recessions. Uh, the market is cyclical. It's unpredictable, but it's very resilient. Stick with your long-term strategy. Don't let the short-term noise derail you. Don't let the election derail you. Don't let the interest rates going up or down change your mindset. Stay long-term. That's the bottom line. 
Right. You're the one that's in control of your plan ultimately, so don't let anyone else tell you how you should handle pursuing your own goals. Uh, that's great advice. Great advice. Well done, guys. I, I really think that helps people make an understanding and make a decision to literally manage your 401k. It's long-term. Stay with it. That's important. And then just don't let your emotions get out of control just because the new media is painting all kind of pictures. That's the bottom line. Thank you so much, guys. Well, let me uh, shift the uh, card a little bit here. Shannon Dyson always comes in about this time of the year. He's a frequent guest, but at this time of the year, he literally talks about Medicare open enrollment, understanding your options, and knowing what questions to ask and what answers to look for. Welcome to the program, Shannon. Thank you, Jim. You know, Shannon, this is, I mean, just as we were talking, I, I was talking with Ditch earlier before the program started, and the reality is, uh, you know, he said he was getting so many phone calls, so much mail. It, he's not even 65 years old, so think about if he's getting it. It starts what, early. It does. I mean, amazing. So help us out. What are some of the things that a person should understand? What is open enrollment? And just give us some insight to what they should be thinking about. Yeah, I think the, the first thing to understand is uh, right now we are going through what is a uh, Medicare open enrollment. Uh, and what that is for primarily is for your prescription Part D drug plan. Uh, that renews or doesn't renew. You need to make a new decision on it each and every year at this time. Uh, so if you are uh, currently over the age of 65, you're on Medicare, you have a current prescription Part D plan, you're going to get something in the mail if you haven't already. You've, you'll get a lot of things in the mail, but from your current uh, prescription provider, uh, they're going to let you know what has changed. Uh, are the prescriptions that you're taking still covered? Are they still covered at the same level they were covered last year? Um, if you don't see that in the mail, that's fine. You need to get with someone and just kind of go through, look online, call somebody, give them your prescriptions that are, it is in this market, um, and, and understand what will be the best plan for you for 2023 moving forward, because you can only make that change once per year. And, and once you get past December uh, December the 7th, that time has passed. Well, all right. Now, if I'm still working, a person's now 65, and we see a lot of people working past that moment of time when Medicare comes apart, do they need to do anything about Medicare at this point? It's a question that comes up all the time. If you're still working uh, and you, you've reached age 65, which makes you Medicare eligible, but you're still working, you have group coverage at your at your place of business, no, you don't need to do anything right now. You are still covered under a under a group health plan. Uh, Part A of Medicare is available to you, but the open enrollment period really has nothing to do with that. The, the turning age 65 is what triggers you being able to get into Part A and Part B of Medicare. So if you're still working, you're not on Medicare, you have job-based coverage, you don't need to do anything right now, even though all of the ads and all the mail that you get is going to, you're going to think otherwise, you don't need to do anything right now. All right. Understanding that if you're still working, you don't have to do anything right now. What about, you know, in addition to Medicare, you read about this Medicare supplements, Medicare Advantage. There seems to be a confusion there. It's when somebody's calling me or sending me a letter and saying, you got to do this now. Let's say it's a Medicare supplement. Are all Medicare supplements created equal? Yeah, it's a good question. So Medicare supplements, all Medicare supplements have letters. Um, the, the majority of the, the policies that we see today are Plan G of Medicare supplements. So we'll, we'll talk about Plan G. Uh, Plan G is the same uh, benefits with one provider to the next. So any carrier, insurance carrier that you look at and you see a Plan G 
Medicare supplement, the benefits are exactly the same. Uh, the only difference is going to be the rates. And some carriers will have different rates for Plan G and not just the rate when you buy it, but what does the rate do next year and the year after that and the year after that? How do you know that? I mean, that's a great point. You said, okay, the, the, the actual plan is created equal. They're the same. But the rate could be different per company. Each company can charge you a different rate. But then you say it could go up. So I'm not locked in at a premium, obviously. So if I'm 70, which could, it goes up. 75, it goes up. Yeah, but absolutely. Uh, how, do I, can I look at that and figure that out? You can. You, you need help. Uh, you need help with well, someone I, I that, that, say, that knows yeah, this, get help. that knows the business. <laughs> it's, What's he talking and, about? And Jim, me? I wasn't saying that you need help uh, necessarily. <laughs> I think you were. But, but, everybody else in here is laughing about but it. It's very, it's very difficult and it can be very confusing. You need to speak with someone that has their the, a handle on what specific companies do year over year because the data is available. Uh, you can see what a company's rates are from age 65 all the way to age 90 for a Medicare supplement and you can see the increase that that, ha that happens each and every year as you age. Scott, were you thinking that he was talking about me? I mean, was that you just rolled well, off in the floor? You know, he was saying what we were all thinking. Yeah. So he was. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, I, I was not talking oh, about yeah, you. Okay, I really yeah, wasn't. I really yeah, wasn't. Yeah. It, it is very confusing. It though. is and confusing. I, and, and I think anybody would need help looking through, especially, you know, we're talking about the mail. It just bombards people. I have people coming off office all the time. They're like, I have all this stuff. I don't know what they to do with it. They bring in 15 yeah. different pieces of mail, and it's like, what's what do I do? Right. And it's you're like deer in a headlight. Right. Yeah, and there's all different types of plans. You know, you mentioned Medicare Advantage. Uh, Medicare Advantage is completely different than a Medicare supplement. And so understanding what those differences are, uh, Medicare Advantage, that is another one. You can only enroll one time per year. Uh, so th knowing when you can enroll, knowing when your eligibility dates, those are the things that you need to understand and have a firm grasp on. Because if you do miss certain dates, uh, for instance, if you miss getting Part B when you're eligible and you do not have group coverage, you could have a penalty. If you do not get prescription Part D coverage within a certain amount of time of your eligibility, you could face a penalty. Uh, and that pen those penalties last for the length of time that you have those policies. So it's something you just need to be aware of. Find somebody that can, that can help you walk you through the process uh, and then someone that can actually help you year over year to walk you through it each year. Well, if you just tuned in, Shannon Dyson, she's the vice president of Shoemaker Insurance Solutions and does a fabulous job at helping clients, our clients, go through that process. He's got a staff of people that does this. And I just give you his telephone number, 757-5757. If you've got a question about this, trying to make a decision, quit trying to guess at it. Get somebody who's an expert at it and they are giving me a hard time. That's okay because I don't have Medicare Part B yet or Advantage, all that stuff. I do have Medicare. And it, it's a hard decision. And, you know, it, it depends on your situation. You need to understand that. There's there's a lot of detail in the, in, the, in the differences of what's going on. Let me ask this. When you get down to good RX or, you know, you get, you get these things from the drug companies and stuff like that, what do you do with that? Boy, that, that, that question comes up a lot because GoodRx and, and programs like, like that, that are very prevalent in the market. You get emails, you see commercials. Uh, unfortunately, when you're on Medicare, it does preclude you from using those types of, of services. So GoodRx, typically, if you, if you go with a discount card from GoodRx to your pharmacy and you're on Medicare Prescription Part D, 
um, they will not honor those prices. They don't work together. They work with commercial insurance. And so understanding what you have access to as, as when you have prescription Part D. And Jim, when you are ready to have that, you'd know that I will help you walk <laughs> you through that process for, for getting your, your prescription Part hey, D Tyler, coverage. Tyler, can you control his and, microphone? Bottom line, you know, my, the producer here, we got, this is not a good thing. Jim, I have guys. a team that can help you through the entire process. But one thing I'll say, you cannot just think that once you have your prescription Part D plan in place, that you don't need to do anything from year to year. Uh, even if your prescriptions don't necessarily change, uh, the, per- the company that you are with could change how they pay for those prescriptions. And so it, it does make sense to at least check that every other, every other year uh, at a minimum. Tough subject, and I appreciate Shannon you talking about it and helping people understand. And if you want to talk to Shannon, let me give you that telephone number again, 757-5757. In fact, if you'd like to talk to Mark, that's Mark Herbison, his telephone number, 901-313-9024. And, of course, Drew, Scott, Shannon, they can be reached at 757-5757. Guys, thank you so much. Great program. I will talk to all of you after the program. We'll Tyler, lock the door. Bottom line. All right, guys, thanks so much. You can find our show, Talk Money, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Search for Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker and subscribe. If you have questions, let me remind you, just simply type J-I-M to the text line, 901-6830-989, and we'll be glad to get your questions on the air. Or you can send them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. Next week, Kurt Zarnowski will be here. Is the Social Security going to be an argument in the government next year? Is it going away? What's going to happen. Kurt's always our expert to that. Michael Powell, Ted Miner, they're going to be talking about survival tips for the bear market and choosing your retirement strategy. That's Saturday morning at 7 a.m. and Sunday at 9. Thanks for our producer, Tyler Springs, guest and content coordination, Francis Fortner, production and marketing assistants, Lauren Norsworthy, compliance officer, Tommy Armstrong, and Kimberly Holtus. We appreciate them. Thanks so much for listening. We're here each and every week helping you make the most of your money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Jim Shoemaker, Scott Jordan, and Drew Johnson are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Helping you make the most of your money. This has been Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker on News Talk 98.9.